Welcome to Pastor Casey's Sermon at Bangor Community Church's Sunday Service. Casey is the Village Missions Pastor at Bangor Community Church here in Bangor, California. Village Missions serves Christ by sending missionary pastors to rural communities all over North America. Casey's joined by his wife, Hope, and their eight children. Let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. There we go. All right. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. And as always, if you do not have a Bible or if you are in need of a Bible, please come see me after the service and we can work on getting one into your hands. Uh, So as we saw last week, we are spending the next chapter and a half or so, the rest of chapter 22 and the whole of chapter 23, uh, in the darkness. Uh, This is both physical darkness for the most of it, um, as it's taking place at night. Uh, for for the most part, uh, but then also completely and totally spiritual darkness. Um, to catch up, Jesus was celebrating the Passover in the upper room with the 12 disciples, and he took this last opportunity to teach, to prepare the disciples. Jesus told them that he would be betrayed. We saw that that has already been fulfilled. He told them that he would be killed and that that would be the institution of the new covenant. And we are going to see that happen over the next couple of weeks. When the disciples heard this, though, they didn't like it. And so they decided, if I don't like it, it's not going to happen. They had a history of not understanding, purposely or not, uh, of, of not understanding when Jesus said that he had to die. Peter had tried to stand in the way of it back when he confessed Jesus as the Christ Uh, And Jesus uh, rebuked him then, called him out for trying to interfere with God's plans. And here Peter is is one of the ones that promises Jesus, no, you don't have to die. You don't have to be uh, identified as one of the transgressors. I am willing to die for you. I am willing to go to prison for you. Jesus calmly tells him no. In fact, this very night you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Again, Peter didn't like that. That was out of the realm of his, his mental ability to see it as a possibility of even happening. So Jesus and his disciples, they left the upper room. They went to pray in the solitude of the garden for a bit. Uh, and then a group led by G- Judas the betrayer comes up to them and are ready to take Jesus into custody. There's a, a brief skirmish that Jesus settles down pretty quickly. Uh, And that's where we pick up here this morning. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. I will be reading out of the English Standard Version. Do encourage you, grab your preferred translation, follow along as we read the Word of God. So Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Thus says the word of God. So the temple guards that Judas had led up to the garden that were confronting Jesus and the disciples who were there for the skirmish when Peter cut off the ear of the, the servant Malchus were there when Jesus healed that same servant. Uh, they seize and they arrest Jesus. He is now in their official custody. They lead him away from the garden, back down into Jerusalem and to the home of the chief priest, the home of, uh, the, the head of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the, the top group of religious leaders and decision makers among the Jewish people. And we think of it uh, in, we have the political elite of today. Well, that was, that was them. They were the religious elite of the day. They were the ones that were the decision makers that were in charge of uh, the, uh, the day-to-day understanding of what it means to keep the law of God. Uh, and they were the ones that uh, interpreted it all and, and decided on it all. Now, it's interesting that they brought Jesus first to the chief priest's house and not to any of the Roman officials, at least not yet. This is going to help to show us the illegitimacy of the arrest of Jesus and his upcoming trials. Uh, we're going to start getting into that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but again, another one of the interesting things is at this point, we don't know what happened to at least nine of the disciples. All we know is that the scriptures say they scattered. We know what happened uh, because the gospels will tell us later what happened to Judas, uh, what happened later on to him. Uh, We presume based on what happens later that John is off and running to go get Mary, Jesus's mother. But in this pre-trial and this trial period of time, the only disciple that we have named in any way is Peter. He is the only one that the, the Gospels show in any context within this time frame of the story. Peter is following the, the temple guards who, who arrested Jesus. He's, uh, they're leading them, leading Jesus to wherever they're going. And, and Peter's following them at a distance, showing at least more than the other disciples, uh, some boldness and bravery. However, he's showing it from a distance in the dark when it is not physically costing him anything. Now, it's likely that as people were out that night, they would have seen an an, an unusual scene. They would have seen this man being led through the streets. They would have seen him uh, being led by the temple guards with some Roman soldiers there with them. Uh, This would not have been an everyday occurrence. Uh, At least it wouldn't seem to be. This is something different, something unusual. So there would have been a lot of talk, a lot of speculation as to who and why this man was being arrested. There may have been some recognition uh, that Jesus was the one who was arrested. That's that guy that's been in the temple all week teaching. It's a guy that keeps confronting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests. What, I wonder what's going on here. The commotion, the something happening, something different would have drawn a crowd for sure. Just like a car accident can cause issues in traffic, even if the wreck's not on the road, can cause slow traffic, rubbernecking, that sort of mindset, that human nature to to look and to see what is going on uh, can cause crowds to gather, to hang around and try to find out 
uh, what the situation is. And that's, that's what we have here. This group of people, these people weren't involved in the arrest. They weren't there in the garden. They were out and about and happened to see this procession. They happened to see this commotion. And so they went with to see what is going on here. Because it was at night, it was cool and dark. And so they gathered. They, saw, they watched this group of soldiers and these temple guards take this man into the chief priest's home. So they gathered outside the home in the courtyard. They grabbed some wood. They kindled the fire to stay warm, to, to shed some light. And Peter joins this crowd. He's trying to keep warm. He's trying to blend in. He's hoping no one notices him. Maybe he's trying to sneak closer. Maybe he's trying to, to, to get some more information uh, whatever the case may be, he's in the courtyard of the home where Jesus was taken, and he's obviously nervous. Verse 40, 56, we see the first, uh, first opportunity here. A servant girl sees him in the firelight. She says to someone next to her or, or, or to everyone, again, we don't, we don't, we'll see this, we don't get an indication of the tone of voice for these back and forths. We, we can assume with Peter uh, and we, well, we can assume with all of them, but we don't get a sense of, of what the tone is. So she could have been saying to the guy next to her, hey, that guy, he was with the guy that was just paraded through here. Or she could be standing up and pointing at him, telling everyone, hey, this guy here, he was one of them. He was with him. We don't know the tone that it was said with. Peter's response, I wasn't with him. Again, no indication is he, is he just quietly trying to shrink back? Is he bold, loud, and yelling? We don't know. But what we do see here is we get three accusations of Peter's association with Jesus. We get an eyewitness, the servant girl. He was with him. We see a direct face-to-face accusation. A guy saying, you were with him. And we see a guy using corresponding evidence, whether it's circumstantial or not. Hey, he's got a Galilean accent, so he must be one of them. We see Peter deny in each and every one of these instances. And so my first question as I read through this is why? Why was Peter denying? And, and there's a couple of options. First, the, the, the obvious and the often, most often given answer is that he was fearing for his life. But why? If that's the case, why was he afraid for his life? He wasn't arrested in the garden. He, the guards had no interest in him even after he cut off the servant's ear, if there was going to be a time when Peter was going to get arrested, going to get dealt with, it would have been right then. They were only interested in Jesus. And so they left him. They didn't deal with him. They took Jesus and they left. So I don't think he would have been, or at least not logically. I don't know what was going through Peter's mind. He might have been afraid of the guards and the, and the soldiers. But we see in the story that there wasn't necessarily a reason for it. And so it's also possible that Peter was worried that the crowd would identify him as an accomplice of a criminal that was just passed by, uh, not knowing the details, not knowing the circumstances, and, and would form a mob against him. He's, a, he's an accomplice to whatever this guy is dealing with and, the, and with the guards and the, and the soldiers. This guy is an accomplice, so let's get him too. That's, that's possible. He could have also just been worried he was going to get chased away from there from where Jesus was, and that he wouldn't be able to, to stay with him, to gather any more information. The, regardless of the reason, regardless of what was going through Peter's mind, three times someone a, a, a confronted, accused, 
asked whatever that Peter was with and had known and was a follower of Jesus. And three times Peter flat out denied knowing, having been with or following Jesus. Immediately after Peter gave the third denial, as he was still speaking the words, the rooster crowed, fulfilling exactly what Jesus had said would happen. Now, these three denials, they they took place over the course of a couple hours. Uh, And so because of that, it's possible uh, that Jesus was then being let out of the the chief priest's home on his way to the next trial or destination. Um, Maybe he was just standing inside the house where he had a good view of the courtyard. We don't know. But the reason I bring this up is because Luke records that when Jesus heard the rooster crow, he turned his head and looked directly at Peter. We don't know what the look he gave Peter was. Was it forgiveness? Was it love? Was it acknowledgement? Was it disappointment? Was it pain? We don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter. The fact is that Jesus knew exactly where Peter was the moment the rooster crowed. He turned his head and looked directly at him. And the way it reads, Peter saw him look directly at him. Possibly he made eye contact. And And that look triggered the memory of what Jesus had told him just hours before in the upper room. What what Jesus says will come true. When he says something that seems outlandish, when he says something that seems impossible, when he says something, I would never do that. What he says will come true. He knows what is coming. He proved it to Peter. Peter, I know that you don't believe you would ever deny me. I know that you believe you are willing to go to jail, that you are willing to die for me. I know that you believe that. But I'm telling you that this is going to happen. And it did. Peter would never forget that moment. I want to I look for a moment at how this story, how Peter himself is, is an example for us to be aware of. Peter was a man who was full of pride. That might be underselling it a little bit. He was quick to react. He was quick to talk. This would end up serving him well in the future, but it also got him in a lot of trouble. I saw one guy write, I didn't write this down, but I saw one guy, one commentary write, oftentimes Peter would open his mouth just to change which foot was in it. (laughs) Part of this was his pride. 20 plus verses earlier, he told Jesus, I will go to jail for you and I will die for you. And he thought and he believed that with all of his being. He knew that he was going to be able to back up what he said, even when he often couldn't. But he was also, as we see right after that that instance of talking to Jesus, of, of making that boast, Peter was also neglectful of his prayer time that evening. Jesus told him in the garden, pray so that you will not enter into temptation. And instead, Peter fell asleep. One commentator wrote that this puts Peter into the most vulnerable position one can be in, one that we have to be uh, on the lookout for, prayerless but full of presumption. In that position, Peter gave in to temptation. He gave in to temptation in the garden with his impulsivity in attacking the servant, cutting off his ear. He gave in to temptation when he three times denied Jesus on that night. Peter thought he could follow Jesus thought he could do it on his own and through his power, his ability, he could make those boasts and he could back them up. Peter was wrong. 
We are not saved by our actions. Full stop. Period. End of sentence. Nothing about our actions, our behavior, our morals, nothing about any of that can save us at all. Peter thought, like many people today, I've got faith. I believe in him. I'm following him. And so I can do whatever it is that I think that I can do. We can't. We can't do it without Jesus. We can't do it through our pride. We can't do it without prayer. Our actions are not what saves us. However, it is our action and our behavior that testify to and show our faith. We can say, as Peter did, I love you, Jesus. But if we don't act on that, if we don't live that out, do we really? When we we can be ready to acknowledge our faith, to live it out in church, or to live it out around fellow Christians, but are we ready to do so out in the world for all to see? Peter wasn't. He was the biggest, boldest claimer of faith, follower of Jesus, when it was just him and the disciples, maybe when the disciples and Jesus were there to back him up, uh, when there was a crowd, whatever, when it's face to face with Jesus, he made the boldest claims of faith of any of the disciples. But when he was sitting there in public and three people said, you were with him, you know him, you're a follower of him. No, no, no. He wasn't ready at that point to live his faith out in public. Philip Ryken says it this way. He says, the true test of discipleship is our witness to the world, not just the promises we make to God. We can say whatever we want to him, but if we don't back it up, it means nothing. Now, it seems to me Jesus had two reasons. He probably had a whole lot of reasons. But two reasons that I I identified and I'm going to mention why he prophesied, why he predicted, whatever you want to call it, that Peter would deny him three times. First, of course, is that he knows. He knows all. We've seen him do this numerous times in the Gospels. This is going to happen. And I'm telling you now so that you can see that I knew it ahead of time. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. Does it with talking about the temple, uh, you know, moving ahead towards 70 AD. The temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be flattened. All of these things are going to happen. I'm telling you now so that you know who I am, so that you can look back and say, he said this back then. He really must be God. Second, I see in this Jesus telling us not to make promises that you can't and won't keep. Don't make promises that depend on your strength, your ability. James, the brother of Jesus, touches on this in his letter uh, later on in the Bible. James 4, 13 through 17, he writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
James here is saying the same thing that Jesus is pointing out with Peter here. Peter was boasting in his arrogance. I will stand up for you, Jesus. I will go to jail for you. I will die for you. I will never do. He says earlier, he says, even if all the rest of the disciples fall away, I will still be right there with you. The rest of the disciples did fall away. They scattered. Peter had the opportunity to be right there with him. To stand up and say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. Yes, I was with that man. And three times he said no. Peter didn't think there was any chance that he was going to deny Jesus. He thought he would do anything and everything to protect Jesus. Not, not knowing that what was going to happen needed to happen and was the will of God. Jesus knew it all. He knew Peter's sins before Peter committed them. He knew beforehand and he forgave him. He knew Peter's sins beforehand and he gave directions to Peter. He gave instructions to Peter for after his sin. Remember back, this is the same chapter back in verse 32. Jesus said to Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's telling Peter, you will sin. After you do, repent and turn again back to me. Then use this experience. Use your former sins. Use your repentance to be an example. Use it to strengthen your brothers. Look, if Peter can fall, if he can sin this grievously, then any of us can do the same. No matter what you think in your own mind, we can all have those moments. And if we say we can't, then we are Peter. But if Peter can be forgiven, if Peter can be restored, if Peter can be used by God, then so can any of us. Peter is a warning to us all that we can, uh, that any of us can and will mess up. We can and will sin. But Peter should also be a balm to us. He should give us a sense of security that Jesus knew ahead of time, knew what was happening, gave him, knew he was going to repent, gave him the instructions for afterwards to strengthen your brothers and used him mightily in the growth of the new church. After all of this happened, after Peter denied three times, after he heard the crow uh, of the rooster, after he turned and saw Jesus, had that, that trigger of that memory, Peter went off and he wept bitterly. We know that he was repentant because of what Jesus had said earlier, that he, that he would repent. Uh, and based on how Peter would respond and react, how he would go out and publicly spread the gospel after the ascension of Jesus, we know that Peter was repentant. There's a big difference in wishing he had never sinned, which is a good description of what we see from Judas after all this. He wished he hadn't done that, but he was not repentant. And then truly repenting, which we see with Peter. Paul writes about this difference in, in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You can be sorry without being repentant. You can be sorry that something happened. You can be sorry that you did something. You can be sorry that you got caught. You can be sorry for the consequences. You can feel bad about what you did. Feel bad about what happened. But that does not equal repentance. 
Have your sins ever brought you to tears like they have, did with Peter? And it doesn't have to be physically running down your face, but have they brought you to that point? Whatever the look that Jesus gave Peter in the courtyard, whatever that look was, what it accomplished was much more important. That look that Peter saw, that look on the face of Jesus, he saw how bad, how serious his sins were. He saw that it was his sins that were sending Jesus to the cross. He saw and he wept bitterly over his sins. He had an accurate and a right understanding at that point of what he had done. And if we have an accurate and a right understanding of our sins, how devastating they are, how heinous they are, even the itty bitty ones that don't really affect anyone and no one else knows, even those, each and every single one of them tears apart our relationship with God and separates us from him. Each and every one of those sins was a a metaphorical nail on the cross that, that crucified Jesus. And if we truly know that and understand that, it should drive us to that bitter weeping as well. But if that's all it does, if it is simply the worldly sorrow that Paul mentions, then it doesn't matter. Worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. If it causes us to turn again, if it causes us to repent, if it causes us to change, to lean wholly and completely on Jesus Christ and him alone, then there's a good result from what happened. Again, I feel like I've been saying this just about every week and just about every Wednesday. Go back to Joseph as he was confronting his brothers and, and they said, I'm sorry for what we did. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Wasn't surprised by it and just said, okay, I can find a way to use this. He meant it for good. And so if our sins bring us to a point of bitter weeping and then repentance, repentance is the key, then God meant it for good to bring us to repentance so that we can be saved. We see the change in Peter. We see how he responds to this night. We see after this night that he is not the same as he was Before this night, we see him going from three denials of Jesus to Jesus telling him three times on the beach that he loves him, reassuring him of his forgiveness and his standing before God. And yes, there's more to that. That's not the only thing Jesus was doing with that. But that that pairing up that three and that three are purposeful in John's gospel. We see Peter going from public denials of Jesus to the public preaching of the gospel. Repent, believe, and be baptized in the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus' first words of public ministry back in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When he says that, repent and believe are not two separate clauses. Do this, then do this. They are one action, as it is written in the original languages. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. They're tied together. They are one. And he keeps preaching that same message through his earthly ministry. Through his arrest here to Peter, he's still preaching that same message. Through his crucifixion to the thief on the cross. And after his resurrection, sending his apostles out to preach that very same message. Making disciples of all nations. 
Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' ministry, why Jesus, what Jesus came to share with us. He came to die on the cross, to shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He came to come back to life, to defeat sin and death. And he came to preach the message of repentance, of faith. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that is my message to you. That is what I am here for. What I am called to do is to tell you what Jesus has said. To to tell you the message that Jesus told everyone. So that we get that same message that Peter was getting that night. That we get that same message that those that that Jesus preached to uh, heard. That we get the same message that the old world got when when the apostles spread throughout the known world. Spread the gospel. Spread the good news. Spread the knowledge of Jesus. Making disciples of all nations. Repent and believe. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we, we, we come before you and we know that we can and will lose anything that is dependent on us. We make boasts, we make claims, we try to do what we think that you want us to do, but we try to do it in our own strength and our own abilities and our own knowledge. And we fail if we do it in that. And so thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that our salvation is not dependent on us, but that it is solely 100% dependent on you and your faithfulness. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Help us to recognize our sins, to weep bitterly if needed, but to see how devastating they are. Help us to repent and believe to go out to show our faith, to live out our faith by our actions, not just our words, and doing it in not in our power, not in our ability, but your power and your ability, dependent on you, Jesus, and you alone. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for that repentance that leads to salvation. Thank you for everything. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. Visit us online at facebook.com slash bangorcommunitychurchca, all one word. Or Pastor Casey at Casey Holenchek, that's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K dot com. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.